Hello from ABA Mid-Year Meeting 2017 in Miami, Florida. I'm Lawrence Coletti. I'm Adam Cameras. Simmons Chase. Carolina Blanco. Peter Quinter. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. And we're back. I've got a panel of guests. We are... uh, basking in the simmering sunshine here at the back of the hotel near, uh, I guess, a canal waterway that goes out, obviously, to the Atlantic. We've seen some big boats go by, and yes, we're near the water, and it's kind of appropriate because we're going to talk a little bit about Cuba today. I've got an esteemed panel here joining me, and uh, so the title of the event that we're going to talk about today was called Doing Business in Cuba, New Developments, and a special treat for everybody, Legal Talk Network fans, our boss, CEO, we love him, Adam Cameras is joining us to do a little co-hosting. So, hello, Adam. Hello. I don't know why he is uh, intrepidatious about hosting this podcast. He does it all the time. So, uh, anyway, we're going to get started. So, to our panelists, uh, we're going to learn a little bit more about you before we get started. So, uh, I think what we'll do is, where do you work? What do you do? And maybe we should start with names so everybody gets to know your voice. Why don't we start, uh, why don't we start with Simmons? I'm Simmons Chase. I, I'm the editor and co-founder of CubaJournal.co. We're a publication covering all things Cuba except politics. And Carolina. Hi, I'm Carolina Blanco, and I'm an associate attorney at the law firm of Hill Ward Henderson in Tampa, Florida. My practice focuses on complex commercial litigation, so any sort of business dispute. And I'm involved in our firm's efforts to help our clients expand their businesses into Cuba. Peter. I'm chair of the Customs and International Trade Law Group, the law firm Gray Robinson, based in Miami. I represent companies involved in the import-export, doing business, whether that be fruits, vegetables, pianos, watches, anything that's imported and exported. Of course, the U.S. embargo towards Cuba is one of the areas of my specialty. Excellent, excellent. So we get to your panel. I just want to learn a little bit more about it as well. Uh, Somebody give me the 50,000 foot as to the topics you guys discuss. Just in general, we'll get into the specifics. Good. Well, just 50,000 foot view we had. Unfortunately, Tim Hunt was not able to join us. He's a partner at the law firm of Hill Ward with me. And he sort of gave us a case study about one of our clients, Florida Produce, and their efforts to establish a physical presence on the island. Tim was able to talk to us about the Cuban side of things and Cuban government restrictions. And then Peter was more of the US side and talking about the embargo and the exceptions that were implemented under the Obama administration and how that's impacted his clients and their ability to do business in Cuba. Excellent, excellent. Well, Adam, I mean, you've got an interest in Cuba. You're very uh, fond of Cuba and and, uh, we begged you to be part of the panel. You said no at first, but we convinced you. So uh, I guess uh, you have questions for our panel here that uh, you'd like to learn more about doing business in Cuba. Sure. So I think from my perspective, and I have a personal experience there, and I, as, as I mentioned before the recording started, I had a pretty meaningful experience going over to the island back in 2003 personally, and there there wasn't a commercial component of it. And I was observant of some of the elements in terms of the education and the sophistication and the arts and the culture. However, what I'm curious, and I think the audience would like to know, is what has changed commercially in terms of doing business there, uh, you know, as well as, and I guess it's two-part, what are some of the things that you might see changing with our new presidency and new administration in place. So I can address that. For example, in two weeks from today, I will be traveling to Cuba to participate in a triathlon, the Habana Triathlon, the swim, bike, run race. A year or two years ago, that would not have been legal under U.S. law. But under the Obama administration's change in the regulations enforced by the 
U.S. Office of Foreign Assets Control, the Treasury Department, it is now legal for a U.S. permanent resident or U.S. citizen to travel to Cuba to participate in this triathlon without any prior approval by the U.S. government. So that's a significant change. And I can bring home from Cuba cigars. And rum. And rum, which I could not have done a year ago. That's excellent. And is it still a cash-only experience when you're there, or can you use a U.S. credit card or other forms of commerce while you're there? Well, I've been down to Cuba a few times. My understanding is they're just beginning to accept in certain locations major establishments like hotels, credit cards, but virtually it's still a cash-only system. Yeah, I would take lots of cash. So in terms, I mean, this is, uh, I mean, obviously I think the business opportunities, uh, having a trading partner, another nation 90 miles away, and you know, historically, I mean, it's been the same relationship we've had with the moon for a while, you know, 90 miles away, but we know so little about it. And obviously there's visitors and, and things like that. But uh, in terms of where Cuba is, I know, you know, commercially, I think they're probably a little behind the median for industrialized uh, countries. And, and there may be some uh, entry point they need to catch up with. But, you know, the Cuban people, obviously Adam was uh, commenting, very smart. Uh, so where, where do you think, what role do they play uh, in the U.S. economy as we go forward? Well, Cuba's, you know, 11 to 13 million people. It's, it is close to the United States, but it's a very small population with a very small economy. So I don't expect they're going to export much to us in the future other than some agricultural products, including rum and, and cigars. We, on the other hand, would like to ship everything to them. They need it desperately. Uh, what's also interesting to switch your question a little bit is we may not know a lot about them, but they know a lot about us. When you go down there, it's fascinating to talk to the person on the average person on the street they know all about the politics. They know all about our economy. They know a heck of a lot about Florida. And it's amazing how sophisticated and knowledgeable they are about us, whereas the average American, unfortunately, including lawyers, are not so knowledgeable about them. I would say there are a lot of creative types on the island. We see a lot of musicians and artists, and I think we'd see a lot more Cuban artwork in the United States if we were allowed to purchase those goods directly. Mm. Certainly this is commercially, but Simmons, with regards to the Cuba Journal, I presume that's predominantly for private individual travel exposure and education. That's right. That's right. We, um, we cover business, news, um, investment, travel, no politics, and our audience is not Cubans. And it's been a wonderful experience over the last two years to document uh, what's happening in Cuba because it's a special place. It's a developing country going through transition. And that transition is one from a closed economy to an open economy, and the Cubans are doing that. They're implementing it very slowly, but they have to transition and engage their economy with Western economies. Another interesting feature about Cuba that separates it from other Caribbean island nations is that on measures of development like infant mortality, literacy, female education, and life expectancy, these metrics are at the same level or even mm. exceed that of the United States. So while they have you know, much reduced material wealth, they're the highest educated society in Latin America. And I think it's gonna be a wonderful thing to witness as this economy opens up and unleashes all of this talent and energy. You had mentioned earlier, and, and I guess backing up, when I went to Cuba, there were two flights a week if I'm not mistaken, That's one right. from Los Angeles and one from the basement of the Miami airport where they folded open a table and greeted you and uh, sent you on your way on, right. on a chartered airline out of, out of Miami. 
You'd mentioned that there's now 110 daily flights from the U.S. going into all the Cuba. cities, all, all oh, over, into all, many okay. cities, yeah, into all of Cuba. It was part of Obama's effort to re-engage with Cuba. It took about a year, but the flight started in November, and indeed, you can board a, a, a plane in L.A., New York, certainly in Miami, Charlotte, and fly directly to Havana and nine other cities in Cuba. That's 110 flights a day. It's kind of like an invasion. <laughs> <laughs> I think the area for growth and development for business is regarding this tourism or hospitality sector. So for the cruise lines that are now operating from the United States to Cuba, the airlines operating from the United States to Cuba, the hotel management contracts that uh, Marriott has been awarded, that's the area of potential growth for economic activity between the United States and Cuba. So there's, uh, obviously, uh, this is a long time ago. I watched this uh, recently, a show on the New York mob. And many years ago, they were making moves down into Cuba to put sort of a Las Vegas-style you know, casino set up down there. Do you think that think interest in that will resume as uh, business operations between the United States and Cuba get going? I do. I uh, absolutely. I just gave a presentation a few minutes ago on behalf of the commission. And I think eventually you will see restoration of full travel to Cuba by the United States, uh, participation with Cuba and the rest of the world. Uh, and I eventually think that this is a decade plus from now. Gambling will be allowed again in Cuba. And Cuba will again, especially Havana, will be the pearl of the Caribbean, which it was pre-1959. I was going to say, you're describing a pre-1959 yeah. Cuba that was run mm. by gangsters and was visited by all of Hollywood starlets and stayed at the fancy hotels and gambled in Havana. So we'll see a resurgence of that. I expect the gambling return, but not the mob part of it. Hopefully not. Yeah. Anyway. So you'd mentioned some of the opportunities that are there, and I'm sure that there are probably more. However... I would imagine in your session, you probably covered some of the minefields and concerns and challenges. If you don't mind sharing, what are some of those tips? Sure. You know, the, the main difficulty here is on the Cuban side of the equation. The U.S. government has, under the Obama administration, loosened the regulations such that U.S. companies can engage in business in Cuba, at least legally on the U.S. side, if you fit into one of the special licenses or the general license. However, the Cuban government has to allow you to do that. And they want to control everything. And they're not willing to give us any of that control while the embargo stands. That seems to be the sticking point for the Cuban government is while the embargo stands, they're not really interested in open trade with the United States. Finding the, the proper partner to do a joint venture in Cuba is critical. If you have to plan to be there for a long time before you get a financial return, you have to demonstrate to the Cuban government your sincere interest in helping the Cuban people as part of your investment or trade activity with Cuba. And I can speak to our client, Florida Produce, that has been selling food to the Cuban government since 2001, and they began efforts following the regulatory changes in December of 2014, I believe. Mm -hmm. They began efforts to establish a presence in Havana to have a warehouse where they could store their food and some building equipment and things of that nature. And in that two year period, they've still been unable to convince the Cuban government to allow them to do that. There's just so many hurdles and you know, you gotta sweeten the deal for them. What Simmons referred to earlier, Adam, when you went from two flights a day to 110 flights a day to Cuba is somewhat, I think what the Cubans are curious and concerned about being overwhelmed by the number of Americans in their country 
uh, and bringing some of our concepts that are foreign to them. They're very much, it's a communist country, think of it as socialist, where everybody's supposed to be treated equally. And obviously in the United States, we have very wealthy and very poor. And that's something that's different than in their society. So I wanted to bring up, I've recently read from USA Today, it's actually an older article, but I caught up with it in my research for the panel, and I wanted to talk about the policy known as uh, wet foot, dry foot. So the President Obama's administration uh, pulled away from that policy that was put into place by, by President Clinton. So I wasn't familiar with it. It was kind of new to me at the time when I read it. And so I was wondering if one of you would explain what that is and, and what does it mean when we pull it back and how does it affect uh, Cubans? Yeah, so the wet foot, dry foot policy was a U.S. government policy that applied only to Cubans. And it meant that Cubans who could make it to American soil were granted a special track to become residents and ultimately citizens. And no other country in the world had that special policy. So if Um, they got one foot on U.S. soil, the dry foot, that allowed them to stay here in the United States. So was it a year? It was a, a year requirement they stayed here before the uh, the path to citizenship would begin? Or I think it was a year for residency and then, I guess, five years for citizenship. But what it did is um, attracted a lot of young Cubans out of Cuba into the United States. And what that meant for Cuba is that it has the oldest society in Latin America. So while it has the highest educated, it also has the oldest society. And this is a real problem for them later on. And... Um, Lots of other Latin countries, people from Latin countries, attempt to come to the United States and didn't have that policy. So it was a source of friction diplomatically, and Obama ended it just before he left. In an effort to continue to normalize relations with the island. What do Cubans think about that? I mean, there's some, you know, that probably wanted to take advantage of that, maybe possibly still, and now that policy changes. I, I was in Cuba when it was announced, and there were a lot of young people who all had detailed plans on coming to the United States under that policy, and so they were upset about it. But I think they also understand that two countries that now have diplomatic relations shouldn't have a special policy like that. Well, what's really interesting, if you look at the statistics for 2015, 2016, of the number of Cubans fleeing Cuba to coming to the United States, they increased dramatically because the Cubans anticipated the ending of the the wet foot, dry foot policy, which did occur just last month. Wow. I've got some tourism statistics that might help explain all the energy around Cuba, right? There's a lot of interest in Cuba from an investment perspective and from travel. That'd be great. So if you exclude Cuban Americans traveling to Cuba, only 160,000 Americans, that is non-Cuban American Americans, went to Cuba in 2015. Don't know the 2016 numbers that are probably 40% growth. Just imagine that compares to 20 million people who went to Mexico last year. So presently, Cuba attracts 4 million visitors in the Caribbean. Um, That's number two in the Caribbean. The Dominican Republic is number one at five. In 10 years, the orders of magnitude greater Mm -hmm. visitors to Cuba, probably three or 400%. There's no place in the world that has visibility on that scale of growth. And what is attached to that is probably a $50 billion investment opportunity to upgrade their economy, to attract a lot more tourist visitors, and then, of course, to um, transition Cuba from a closed economy to an open one. I agree with Simmons. I think the end of the U.S. embargo of Cuba is inevitable. It may not be under this administration, and we may have to wait several years. 
In the meantime, as long as there are no changes to the current policy towards Cuba, it's inevitable that there will be more business activity by Americans and American companies doing business with or trading with or investing in Cuba. Uh, I encourage people to explore those opportunities. We provided legal advice to companies considering doing so. And when, if you do it, go in there with your eyes open. Understand what the rules are to operate under the laws of Cuba, not just the U.S. laws. And that the Cuban government will always hold at least 51%. That's good advice. Well, excellent. I only have one more question for everybody. Uh, you know, obviously we have some listeners out there. We're producing these in conjunction with the American Bar Association. We'll be putting them out through our channels. There'll be attorneys and, and other folks listening as well. And so if they have questions or wish to follow up with you, how can they reach you? Why don't we start with uh, Simmons? Well, you can find the Cuba Journal at cubajournal.co and the Twitter handle is uh, Cuba Journal. Carolina. Uh, you could reach me by email at carolina.blanco at hwhlaw.com. Similarly, my law firm, Gray Robinson, gray-robinson.com. So peter.quinter at gray-robinson.com is my email address. Or Miami, office 305-416-6960. Well, we've reached the end of the road for today's episode, but I want to thank our guests for joining us, uh, Carolina, Peter, and Simmons, and also my co-host, Adam Cameras, for joining us today. also want to thank our listeners, and if you enjoyed what you heard today, please rate us on iTunes. And join us next time for another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. Thank you very much. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.